This week's episode is brought to you by Teladoc. College is stressful. You shouldn't have to deal with it all on your own. With Teladoc, a therapist is a click away with appointments available seven days a week. Have your visit from wherever you're most comfortable, your dorm room, somewhere else on campus, on the phone, through video. Choose the therapist who best fits your needs. It's convenient, confidential, and on your own terms. Life doesn't have to be overwhelming. Need help taking the first step? Teladoc is here. Visit www.teladoc.com slash mental wellness to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash mental wellness to get started. Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I am here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hello. And Andrea Smith, technology guru extraordinaire. Hey, guys. Hello. Today on the show, we're talking about a topic that I feel like we've touched on a few times here and there, but um, I don't know if we've ever really kind of had a deep dive into it. We are talking about anxiety and depression. Um, particularly with older kids, kids heading off to college or kids might be in college and what parents should look out for, how parents can help their kids prepare, um, what parents should be asking when their kids are away at college and then how their kids can access mental health services um, and both in person, but also remotely so that they can have these services at their fingertips. And it's something I don't even think a lot of parents know about. Um, But I know, Amy, you've got a freshman. Oh, my God. This is one of those episodes where I'm like taking notes. It's so selfish. Like we're just doing all these things that are specifically helping me. And I love it. Well, I feel like if we need it, then lots of people must need it. Right. Um, but I do, I, I think like, as I'm assembling my checklist, like my daughters are just more obsessed with like what their bedding is going to look like. I'm more obsessed with like, what if they need something while they're at school? What if they get sick while they're at school? Every worst case scenario. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is, I think will be very helpful to lots of parents out there. Even if your kids aren't, you know, in college yet, or they're just younger, you can you can get help for them um, virtually or yourself, which let's face it, <laughs> that might be the 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 first step. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be right back with Dr. Desiree Dudley, and we will have this conversation about anxiety and depression in our kids. We are back with Dr. Desiree Dudley. She is a clinical psychologist at Cornell Scott Hill Health Center and a senior behavioral health consultant at Teladoc Health. And we are so excited to have you on, Dr. Dudley. Thank you. I'm very excited to be on. Um, I wanted to, I should, you know, preface this by saying that um, I had a really nice talk with you last week, sort of in preparation for this and we covered a lot of topics and I know our (laughs) listeners are going to be super interested in this. Um, And I know I told you that I have uh, twins who are seniors applying to college. Amy has a freshman in college and a sophomore in high school. And Andrea has seen her son through college. Um, But of course, like he's in his twenties and Andrea, I think you'd agree, like still hard. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) It's a never ending job. 
It really is. I, someone really should warn you before you decide <laughs> have children, it never ends. That old saying of you're only as happy as your least happy child is just so true. That's all. It's yes. so true. Um, and why, I mean, maybe this is just because we have so much information at our fingertips and we're reading more and everyone's so connected, but it does seem both anecdotally and from lots of studies that have come out that this generation is more anxious, more depressed, um, flocking to health services on college campuses in numbers colleges have never seen and aren't prepared for. Is that true? And why? If it is, why do you think that's happening? So, yes, it is true. There's definitely over the past decade been an upward trend in uptake in college students seeking out mental health services. And it's ironic. I sort of saw the trend probably over the past decade. I remember always seeing research studies focused on college campus and substance use, drinking, drug use. But then over the past 10 years started to see the shift to mental health, depression, anxiety, symptoms, and disorders in college students. Um, so there's been lots of research done there. About 80% of college students per research studies have found that they're just overwhelmed with all of the demands and responsibilities placed on them that inherent in college campus and the college life. 50% um, of them report being very anxious. Depression and anxiety tend to be uh, the most prevalent disorders affecting college students. And most shockingly, suicide is the second leading cause of death for college students on campuses. That is terrifying. It is extremely terrifying. Um, so uh, you asked sort of why, why this trend? Um, I think there's a number of reasons. Um, this, so first, let me back up and say, mental illness is not new. It's been around for the since the beginning of time. But where we are now in this generation and in this decade is that there is more acceptance of it, although there is still more stigma, which I'd be happy to talk a little bit more about in a, a few minutes. Um, but there's a, mental illness is more well-known and accepted, so treatment is more offered. And this generation is seeking it more because it's talked about more. They know about it. Um, there are lots of challenges that college students face. There's transition um, difficulties, just being more sheltered or living with your parents, going from having the support 24-7 of parents in your home while you're in middle school and high school. So college students shift to having more autonomy now that they're on campus, they're on their own. And it's stressful. College workloads are heavier than they were generations before. I think that's reflected in um, college entrance scores. They are higher, so the demand and expectations are higher. Um, there's financial stress of affording college campuses. So I think a lot more students are full-time students, but then they're also working quite a bit to afford school. Um, there's exposure still to alcohol and drugs. And then there are also 
there's, this is such an age of technology and social media that is helpful. It's moved us in a certain direction of progression. At the same time, a lot of the social media that college students have available to them has ironically, in a way, created a lot of isolation and a lot of demands in terms of comparison to their peers. So I, I would say that these are many of the factors that I think play a role in why we see such high rates of anxiety and depression in college students. Do you think, I mean, I think this has been, um, this is also like happening in middle school and happening in high school. Do you think parents are ignoring signs before their kids go? Or do you think that kids who've sort of never previously experienced depression or anxiety are sort of experiencing that for the first time in college? So I'd say it it could, there's sort of this dynamic that happens. Many of the uh, college students that I've treated, um, they have struggled with anxiety and depression starting from childhood for the most part. But it's in some of them have had treatment and then they want to continue it. But some of them have sort of dealt with it or it wasn't recognized. And then when they enter college, because it's a stressful environment, we see these symptoms amplified and they, they get exacerbated to the point that it really interferes with their functioning. Um, another sort of phenomenon that I've seen is that, and this is not to blame parents because parents have their children's best interest. They really do. But oftentimes parents tend to sometimes not think that talking to your kids or asking them, assessing them about how their mental health or emotional well-being is, is something that's necessary and relevant. They will talk with their kids about relationships. You're going to college. Don't abuse alcohol or drugs. You know, be, do your work, go to your classes. But they don't incorporate into those expectations questions about their, their child's mental well-being. And how do you do that? Because my son has been at college for about a month now. We've only talked to him once on the phone. You know, we text occasionally. But um, I mean, honestly, it was it was hard to get him to to talk a lot when we were in the same room together. So over the phone, it's even more awkward. Um, should we be doing this over the phone? First of all, if that's awkward, or should we just be texting, which seems more natural? And what should I be asking him just to try to find out if he's okay? Because if I say, are you okay? He's just going to say, yeah, it's great. So sometimes it's difficult for parents to ask their kids questions that I think parents think might be uncomfortable to them or their child. But asking your kid, you know, so how, how are you feeling? Do you ever have times when you feel sad or down or very nervous to the point that it stops you from doing anything? You know, do you do you have friends? Who are your friends? Do you spend time alone? Do you feel lonely? Do you ever have thoughts of not wanting to be here or not wanting to be living? Um, which is a, one of the, that's probably the most significant sign of depression and anxiety, having thoughts of suicide or thinking repeatedly about death. So those are some questions that parents can ask their children. And I think what it does is as difficult as it is, because parents get afraid of 
what the answer could be, right? Um, as difficult as it can be, what it does is it, it allows a, a young adult to understand that, okay, my parent is open to anything that I might have to talk to them about. And that makes them more likely to confide in their parent as opposed to push them away. Do you, I mean, I think a lot of people, right, they take their kid up to school. Um, and I wonder sometimes, because um, they're living with a new person a lot of time, right? They're usually living with someone they don't know and right. having this new roommate. And what that can be like for a parent too, um, because I know I had a friend whose son, he just got sick, but she couldn't get any medical information. Um, and so the roommate became... <laughs> this conduit when her son ended up in the hospital telling her stuff because the doctors actually wouldn't tell her stuff. What can parents do? I mean, first of all, maybe that relationship with your child's roommate is kind of good to have, even just a cell phone number. But also, what does a parent do when your kid is 18, they're legally an adult? Um, what can you as a parent do when you send your kid off to school in terms of making sure they're getting the health services they need or knowing what if they're getting them? Yeah, this is a very good point. And I've actually run into this with uh, young adults in school that I've treated as well as parents on the other side. So the way that I tend to sort of work with that is encourage uh, my clients, the college students, encourage them that it helps their depression and their, their anxiety to have a support system. So it helps to include your parent, but this is your treatment. You as an adult have the ability to include who you want to, and it, it's private, but at the same time, if you're struggling and you're not feeling well, it might be a good idea to use your parent as some support. And with that, they are often willing to sign releases of information to give permission for their parents to be included in the way they want them to. This may not mean a detailed description of every therapy session, but it does mean, okay, if someone's starting to feel really bad, like suicidal, then it's okay for that therapist to reach out to the parent and tell them how their child is doing or that there's some warning flags and red flags going off. You know, it, it just reminds me, you know, we've done a lot of college tours and they never show you the health services on the tour, Never, which I kind of wish they would, because I don't even know if kids know where, I mean, I know I couldn't tell you I went to Michigan. I cannot tell you where health services is on that campus. Um, and I, you know, I think about that too, and maybe that's an important thing to kind of find with your kid when you drop them off, just not even just for mental health, but for everything, just to know where health services are and how to use their insurance card, you know, like things to have in their wallet that they may never have had or their prescription card or whatever it is. Um, I mean, my daughter's they don't know how to fill a prescription. Like they've never done that. They've never picked up their prescription themselves yeah. or um, presented their insurance card themselves or even filled out the paperwork at the doctor's office. Yeah, that's a good point. And this is the case for most young adults because they're young adults and this is their first time being independent. Um, I had a client who was actually a parent and I saw her via virtual care and she was telling me about exactly this situation where 
her child was going off to college, her child had pre-diagnosed learning disability and ADHD, and she was nervous about how can I let my child go off on his own, but set him up to not fail. So, uh, you know, that gave me the idea and what I tend to do with parents to help prepare them is kind of tell them to go over this sort of preparation checklist, if you will, of what you need to discuss with your, your kids before they go off to college. And those tours, that would be a great time to say, okay, let's see exactly where the mental health or counseling center is. Let's see where the accommodations center is so that as soon as you get here, you could get yourself set up with uh, any accommodations you need to do your work. Oh, that's a great idea, too, because there are a lot of kids going with learning disabilities and things like that, and they're so used to having that help. Yes. Um, I never even think about that, the accommodation center, which, of course, all these schools have, right? I mean, they just, the problem is the limited resources of these schools. I mean, you hear these stories that kids, you know, are in really a bad state, but it could be two to three weeks before they can get an appointment with a counselor. Well, and I was just going to jump in, too, because I, you know, I am aware of someone who really, really needed to speak to a counselor and not just two to three weeks to get into one, but then to get into a group or to get appointments. It's another couple of weeks or this group is of, you know, this student group is closed and so now you have to wait for the next session. And it's difficult to find someone who can help you right then and there when you need it. In terms of access to care. We know this is a problem for rural areas, but quite honestly, it's also a problem for pretty big populated cities. I also see people through virtual care in New York, and the average wait times is about six months mm. in terms of getting in to see someone in a traditional building, behavioral health center. So... One of the main things I do with Teladoc is I see adults on a virtual care platform, which has been very convenient for adults in terms of accessing care. Um, college students in particular, when they're on campus and they want to reach out and have mental health services without the stigma of even having to walk across campus and be seen going into a counseling center, because stigma still does exist. Um, all they do is they register with Teladoc. Uh, they answer some questions for a couple of minutes. They select a provider, and then they're able to schedule an appointment. And the soonest appointment to talk to a therapist or prescriber can be done within 72 hours. That's a huge difference from waiting a couple months to be seen. And then it's like a video conference, right? It's like a video chat. Yes, it can be. So uh, I see people one of two modes. I could either see them through video, if that's their preference, or it could be phone sessions. And I see many people on through virtual care with Teladoc in those manners. Um, I find that college students, just anecdotally, at least the ones that I've seen, the majority of them tend to gravitate towards phone sessions. And that tells me that there's anxiety about them seeking treatment, but not enough to stop them. I think what's important is that when they know that it's available, they will seek it. 
So that's something parents need to look for, right? Because I know um, when I was looking through this, even just from Teladoc, I didn't even know we had that as part of our insurance. And we did. Same. I do too. Yeah. And which is incredibly helpful, like knowing if my daughters go off to college and need that, that they have access to that. But I really wouldn't have known. It's kind of amazing to me that people may have benefits they're not aware of, especially something this important. It's like something I would really encourage all of parents before they're sending their kids off. Um, Or I guess parents, if you're even in a place like New York City where it's impossible to get an appointment with anybody, um, it does seem like a really easy thing for a kid, a college kid to do. Um, You know, they all live on their phones anyway. And like you said, so much less intimidating, but I think people just have to check and see if they have it. Well, it's funny because my insurance company has been sending out probably the last two weeks, you know, hey, make sure you signed up for Teladoc. Make sure you've signed up for this kind of um, virtual doctor. Um, And it talks about, you know, if you're sick or if you need a consultation, But I didn't actually see, maybe I didn't look hard enough, it doesn't talk about mental health. You know, for me, when I saw it, I thought it was mostly physical health, which I was really, really glad because, as you said, Rebecca, it's really difficult to get an appointment sometimes. So I think it's great for for anyone, you know, kids or adults, to know that uh, something like that is available. I definitely agree. And the college students that I've seen, they've all told me that this is something that their parent did do. So this would be part of the checklist as you're preparing your college student, you know, making sure that they're well packed, they have enough clothes, they have enough books, notebooks, pencils. Also, uh, making sure they have a copy of their insurance card and making sure they understand what their benefits are and where to call and who to call if they need to reach out to someone for professional mental health services, especially virtual care, given that they're in college and they're busy and not everyone has transportation and it gets hard to have to physically leave to seek out help. No, that's so important. I mean, you forget, right? Like college students, especially, you know, if you're going to these rural schools, these small schools that you know, these small liberal arts schools, they're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I mean, some of them winter hits and like, forget it. Um, you're totally stranded. So it's kind of an interesting thing to be able to have a virtual um, therapist or any of your medical care available like that. But I think particularly a therapist, it's, it's a really um, important thing for your kids to know they have that support and don't just have to find the university health center. So I have to ask, people sometimes have questions whether virtual care is actually as good as in-person care or, you know, just maybe they feel funny about it because it seems almost too easy. (laughs) What what are your findings on that? So, you know, virtual care really is transforming the way we access behavioral health care. And I've gotten those questions too. And uh, Teladoc Health actually has been doing research on the patients that all the providers see. And if there really is a reduction in symptoms, if they essentially do, they get better over time. And the answer has been yes. Um, 72% of patients with anxiety report that they feel better only after having met with a provider two times, which is pretty significant. For patients with depression, they tend to improve as, around a rate of 
Um, so there have been significant decreases in both depressive and anxiety symptoms, as well as stress symptoms with use of virtual care. So I, I think that answers the question in terms of, is this as effective as in-person treatment or in in building treatment the answer would be yes so when you say when they met with a with a provider you mean virtually like that's those were the stats for for the for teledoc type of care yes so these are teledoc cares statistics that's the meeting with is either video or over the phone that's really telling that you just refer to it as met with like to you it's 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 just the same as meeting with a patient any other way. Yes, it, it pretty much it is. It's the same kind of therapeutic treatment and it's the same interventions. It's just offered in a more innovative and a convenient manner. I can see how that would be true because I know even just as a mom, like when the nurse calls me back from the pediatrician <laughs> and I have that conversation with her and I run down my daughter's symptoms and she tells me what to do. Like, even if she tells me the same thing I'm already doing, like give them Advil and an ice pack, I feel so much better and it doesn't feel any less than if I had like schlepped my kids into the office. It's actually better because I didn't have to schlep them into the office, which I dread. Um, but I can see that. I think we're in such a connected world now where we're used to dealing with everyone over texting or phone or video chat that I can see that the convenience of it and feeling like you actually have control over seeing someone at a more convenient time and maybe more immediately would make you feel exponentially better. Absolutely. And the, the statistics don't lie. They've shown that they really do. Right. And I know we had a website, um, teledoc.com slash mental wellness, um, where people can sort of start to like see therapists, get matched with therapists once you know if you have teledoc. So check it out. I can't, I'm, I'm telling you so many people have it and don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> I had crazy. no idea until a couple yeah. weeks ago. So is there any last thing that you think parents should really know before they before they send their kids to college or, or the best, you know, kind of tip you can give them for, I don't know what to look for. I mean, I had a friend who just told me that her friend's daughter just came home after two weeks. That was it. Wow. She was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm coming home. I hate it. And uh, I mean, you know, she just obviously really wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, and, and the statistics show that as well, that is, anxiety and depressive symptoms tend to be the cause of college students leaving college early and dealing with the stress of being on college. Um, I think something that's very important that parents can do is get familiar yourselves with the signs and symptoms of anxiety and depression. If parents know what they are, then they can ask these questions about how their child might be feeling. Do they have friends? Are they doing things that they enjoy? How are their sleep? And then you can share it with your kids so that the parent is armed with the information and then they are also giving it to their kids. That's the part, that's the first important thing to know exactly what to look for so that you can know what to ask. And then the second most important, the more important thing is let your kids know that there is help available. It's convenient care. They can seek virtual care and that they should if they need to. I think sometimes kids feel that they can't 
talk to their parents about having problems because there will be disappointment. But parents could change that feeling if they're open and welcoming and suggesting to their kids what they can do in terms of treatment. No, that's so helpful. I mean, I think it's... um it's scary for parents and kids, right? To be away from home. There's so much excitement around going away to college and sometimes it's not all fabulous, right? It can be hard and um, it's hard for both sides to remember that and, and know that they could get through it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really informative and great discussion. We really appreciate you spending time with us today and we know our listeners are going to really welcome this discussion. I think probably we all talk about anxiety and depression tangentially who are on the side or share articles, but people don't really want to talk about, you know, what they might be dealing with, their kids might be dealing with. So just knowing that there's um, a way to discuss it with your kids or even with your own friends, and then that there's virtual care available for your kids if they, you know, feel like they don't know where to turn is, is just great. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. We will be right back with our Bites of the Week. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? All right, I have a fun one. Um, this was a video that I actually shared on my, my Amy Ever After Facebook page a couple of weeks ago. And it was so popular. It's, it's a dance routine from a movie called Stormy Weather, which I have not seen. It's from the 40s. And it's basically just one long, I think it's like five or six minutes. It's, it's a dance routine by the Nicholas Brothers, mm-hmm. who were like, super famous, um, super talented uh, dancers. And it's to the Cab Calloway song, Jump and Jive. And it is like, it is just the most incredible routine. It's insane. Like it's, Fred Astaire said that it was the greatest dancing he had ever seen on film. And just to watch it is amazing enough. But supposedly, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but the story behind it is that this was like the first take unrehearsed. What? And yeah, like not like unrehearsed, like they didn't learn the dance. I mean, obviously they had to learn the dance, but like the story is that it was the first take like with the band, with the cameras on the stage, you know, like doing it. They were pros. Yeah. They were doing it for a long time. And so I'm not only going to link to that video, but also a New York Times article that goes a bit more into the Nicholas Brothers story, which is, you know, not as happy as Mm -hmm. the as the video, because a lot of racism, you know, a lot of um, blocks to their career because they were black. And um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting, somewhat sad story. But you know, watch the video, get happy, read the article, get sad, and then watch the video again and see how it all comes together. (laughs) There you go. All right, Andrea. Okay, so um, Hillary and Chelsea Clinton, the mother-daughter writers extraordinaire, (laughs) they've been making the rounds promoting their new book um, about gutsy women, which which I actually cannot wait to read. Um, But they made an appearance on Colbert. And of course, it was a, you know, a very busy news day about Ukraine and Mike Pompeo and Bill Barr and, and all that. And by the time they got to plug their book, there wasn't a whole lot of time to talk. But One thing that just struck me was um, Chelsea was asked about what it was like to write a book with her mother. They're both very accomplished writers. Chelsea's written books on her own as as Hillary, as you know. And um, 
Chelsea kind of rolled her eyes and, and Hillary said, you know, please ask me about impeachment. You know, don't, don't talk about this. And they had this cute little back and forth about the fact that Hillary Clinton still writes in longhand. And Chelsea just kept saying, Google Docs is your friend, you know, and explaining how she wanted to write in a Word doc. And she would send her mom a Word doc and say for comment. And then her mother didn't even know how to comment or open a comment box. And, you know, all her comments are written in scribbles. And Hillary went on about how she likes to put pen to paper and put arrows and mark it up. And it was just the like a typical mother-daughter conversation that you would hear today about, you know, longhand writing versus computers. And it was adorable. I also just love the fact that no matter how old your daughter gets, she will still roll her eyes at you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's still like, you know, it, it's Hillary Clinton, right? And she's still like, oh, my God, my mother just doesn't get it. <laughs> it's so awesome. I also think it's interesting that Hillary didn't put herself in that book. Hmm. Well, kind of that, unbelievable. that would be so self-deprecating but I, mean, I, but I saw an interview with them where Chelsea was like I wanted her in like who she was the first woman of a major political party to run for president and you wrote a book about 100 gutsy women it's sort mm-hmm. of like but she can't she couldn't right she yeah, was just like yeah. I'm only in the book as an introduction right or as, as the author she was right she would have been pilloried. that would have been the right are you kidding yeah but it kind of, if anyone else had written it, she'd be in there. Mm-hmm. I hope that when somebody else writes a book similar, that she will right. be in it. Or when they have like the 10th anniversary edition or something. <laughs> <Whatever> <laughs> they do. Um, so my bite this week is kind of complimentary to our episode. Um, it is a new graphic novel. And it is all about, um, it's about anxiety. <laughs> and... Um, it's mostly anxiety. It's not about depression, but for a fourth grader, um, written by Raina Telgmeier. I think I pronounced her name right. Telgmeier, I think it is. She's a um, an amazing graphic novelist. She works with middle grade books. This book is called Guts, and part of it is because the main character in it has a huge phobia of throwing up. Hmm. It's one of her phobias, which happens to also be my one of my daughter's crazy phobias. Um, so I feel like that's not crazy. It's like, called emetophobia. It's actually very, very, very common. Um, but the girl in the book, it her fear of her phobia becomes so all encompassing that she develops actual like panic disorder and massive. And and so the review in the New York Times this week said. It was written by a psychologist, the review, and said, I have never, ever encountered a book that so perfectly laid out what it feels like to have this kind of anxiety disorder. Um, And she then also has like a phobia of germs and fear, you know, all this stuff because because she has this fear of throwing up and it makes herself, you know, crazy about it. But this is her third book. She has another book called Smile and another one called Sisters. Um, all of which are extraordinary. And of course, there's this incredible story behind it because all these publishers said girls don't like comics, so you can't write a graphic novel with a girl as the main character, which I don't know what century they're living in because I think of Dork Diaries. I think of even just the audience for Diary of a Wimpy Kid, like Mm -hmm. just as many girls as boys. My daughter Um, loved those books. I know, and her books have all landed on the bestseller list, so it just goes to show you that they know nothing. 
And um, we've been doing this podcast for what, like four, four and a half years. I think this is our first graphic novel recommendation. Yeah. Well, I think Sandy Chen has recommended some before um, when she's been on doing our best books, you know, list, which I think we're due for. We're, oh, we're absolutely due for. Okay. So I'll amend that. It's the first one recommended by one of us. Yes. Um, and I wish this had been around when my daughter was younger. Actually, the author was like, I wish it had been around when I was younger because I still have a sphere as an adult. But like <laughs> I was definitely traumatized by having this fear when I was in fourth grade. So I highly recommend it if you have a kid who's dealing with anxiety of any kind um i would you know i would bet like even first grade through like sixth or seventh grade it just they said everything about it is just exactly what you need and it just perfect perfect um laying out they said if judy bloom were a graphic novelist this would be her so wow. like you can't think of better <laughs> right <laughs> um so i highly recommend it again it's called guts it's a graphic novel by Raina Telgemeier. And we'll link to it on Amazon so you can buy it or you can go to your local bookstore and pick it up. And I guess look if she's, see if she's on tour because I guess she does a lot of like book signings and stuff, which could be cool for your kid too. And that is our show for today. We'd again like to thank Teladoc for sponsoring this week's episode. You can check them out at teladoc.com slash mental wellness and check out your insurance and see if you have Teladoc because we did and we didn't even know. So don't be like us. <laughs> Go look and see if you have it. Uh, you can get links to everything we talked about today on facebook.com slash parentingbytes and of course on parentingbytes.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast wherever you listen, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. And we also love to hear from you. So please ask us questions on our Facebook page. You can private message us. We are still taking questions for Dr. G. That show is coming up. So please keep them coming. Amy, what's that phone number? 925 parents there you go or again private message us on facebook if you want to be anonymous or publicly <laughs> you know leave a comment <laughs> on our facebook page and we'll include you anything you have about parenting i don't care what age your kid is or your niece or your nephew or your grandkid or even if it's not like a specific scenario just like here's something i'm having a problem like how do you handle you know bedtime how do you handle cell phones yeah anything you're dealing with that you feel like your friends haven't been that helpful or maybe you're just kind of at the end of your rope with it you know your kid's a picky eater and just will only eat three things or can't have their food touching or <laughs> or the weather's getting colder maybe you have one of those kids who refuses to put on their winter coat oh yeah um anyway give us your questions for dr g that show is coming up and until next week happy parenting bye Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.